Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, the 22nd of July, 2020. A couple of years ago, my family bought a new grill to put out in our backyard. And that experience, I guess you could say, reinvigorated my interest in actually cooking. Before that, I was probably pretty content to uh, let my wife do the lion's share of the cooking and enjoying the excellent things that she cooks. But getting this grill definitely got me excited about using it and and growing my own culinary skill. And one thing that was very helpful to me in, in doing that was a really large database of recipes online from the company that made the grill, where if I was like, hey, I want to try salmon or tri-tip or Hey, let's grill some steaks tonight. Lots of great recipes on how to do it and how to do it well. Well, today, as you see in the title of this episode, we're talking about a a recipe for renewal. And after all, this is revival from the Bible. How does revival happen? Well, there is no recipe per se. There isn't just some, you know, list of things that we just do and then presto, it's a revival. There's nothing like that. But scripture does, I think, point us to things that we don't know. We can't just say, oh, do this and boom, there's a revival. But it does point us to the things that God's people will be doing when God does work in that way. And we're going to see that as we open up our Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7 through 9. 2 Chronicles 7 through 9. And we're going to look at a verse there that is a famous verse, one you've probably heard before, as we see this continuing celebration as the temple is now dedicated to the service of the Lord. And yesterday they were singing the song, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then smoke filled the house. Well, today fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifices. And again, they worship saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. But as Solomon finishes all of what is, what is going on, God actually appears to Solomon and God basically says, hey, that prayer that you prayed in chapter six that, that we talked about yesterday, I'm going to answer that prayer. And in Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, it says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, we have to remember again that this is a promise he's making to King Solomon about the people of Israel, about the temple itself. And I don't think there's any, you know, like I said, simple, hey, here's four steps to seeing revival in America or revival around the world. But I think if we are going to see revival, if we are going to see renewal in our nation, these four things that God tells Solomon, this is what the people of God should be doing. These four things still need to be happening. And I, I would hope that we all agree that America needs revival. I mean, even a poll last year showed that 63% of Americans thought the country was headed in the wrong direction. 
And that was before 2020. That was back in the good old days of 2019. And now, I mean, I think everything we've seen this year, people are concerned. But let's let's talk about these four elements of renewal, of, of revival that we see God telling Solomon. It's if my people who are called by my name, number one, humble themselves, number two, pray, number three, seek my face, and number four, turn from their wicked ways. Number one, God's people need to humble themselves. And that's something that, that we, we need to see. And when we see uh, strong people of God that God uses, and one that comes to my mind is the prophet Daniel, who later is a leader while the Israelites are in exile. One thing you can clearly see in Daniel is humility. Even in Daniel chapter 9, when he prays for his nation, he, he's not putting himself in some other class and saying, oh yeah, those people over there, look at all the bad things they're doing. He's including himself. He realizes that he also is in need of the grace and mercy of God. And that's something that we need as Christians. If we're just looking down at the rest of America, down our noses, thinking, oh man, all these people out there have so many issues, then we've got it wrong. We need to start with humility saying, God, I need you. I need your help. I need revival. I need grace. I need mercy. I need your steadfast love. Oh God. It starts with humility and that humility will then lead to prayer. Like we see Daniel, another person that we see exemplifying this is the prophet Elijah, who he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. If we're not praying for our nation, if we're not praying for God to work, why do we think it's going to happen? God clearly tells us to ask him. He said, it says in James, you do not have because you do not ask. And I fear that many times that's one of our biggest issues as Christians is we are not praying. And, and if we're also, we're praying for the wrong things many times and with the wrong motives, we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our churches. We need to pray for each other, that God would work in a mighty way. He says, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, we need a revival of Christians seeking the face of God like never before. When unfortunately the reality, I mean, open up your phone right now, start typing in face and what's probably going to come up, Facebook, where we, there's so many other things that can fill our time, that can Take our attention. When God throughout his word calls us to seek his face, what an invitation. Our creator, the king of the universe is inviting us to seek him. Are we doing it? And what does that look like to seek his face? Well, I'd say, again, this might sound basic, but there's no way to seek the face of God without seeking his word and praying. Like the thing that we just talked about. And my question to you, I mean, 2020, this tumultuous year that we're still right in the middle of, what has your seeking the face of God looked like? What have you spent more time doing in 2020, looking at Facebook or the internet or something else, or seeking the face of God, even alone in the secret place, you seeking God by 
pouring over his word or pouring out your heart in prayer. People, if we are not seeking the face of God like never before, why in the world do we think there would ever be revival? The revival needs to start with us and see us seeking the face of God. If my people humbled themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Again, it's so easy for us to look out at the world and we could easily come up with a long and legitimate list of wicked things our nation needs to turn away from. There are obvious ways our nation is rebelling against God and his truth and his ways. But what about you? Are you perfect? Are you without sin? Are are we really going to sit here and say, well, there's no wicked ways at all in me? Again, the revival is going to have to start with us. And that's going to look like repentance. That's going to look like us saying, God, search my heart. See if there's any sin in me. God, show me my sin so that I can turn from my wicked ways and grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. There is so much about our country. There is so much about this year that you cannot control. But I would plead with you today, humble yourself, pray, seek God's face and turn from your wicked ways. That is what we need. I'm praying for revival in the United States of America in 2020, and I am confident there will be no revival without these four things. And I hope this encourages you to to seek God and and to look at for these four things in your own life, humility, prayer, seeking God's face and turning away from wickedness. Now, we still we see so much of this in the context of the temple that Solomon was building and so much of the focus in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, it really focuses on the city of Jerusalem. And so that's why we, we see Psalms like the one we're going to look at today, Psalm 87. And we'll see other Psalms like this, that they start, they really talk about Jerusalem or you'll see them use the word Zion, which was something referring to Jerusalem and the mountain that Jerusalem is, is built on. And we kind of have to ask the question, well, what do we do with this? Because is Jerusalem like super central in your thinking today? Probably not. But one thing that I want to point out from our word today is from the word today is that God's work with Jerusalem is not done. And when you look at today at verses like four and five, among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon and behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her for the most high himself will establish her. I think what that's saying is Jerusalem is going to keep playing a central role and there, there will come a day Jesus will come back. There will be a kingdom where he is ruling on this earth and Jerusalem will be a, a privileged and central place in that government and in that economy. And look at verse seven, singers and dancers alike will say, all my springs or all my fountains are in you. And we think of that even in how we would say there's a fountain that's been opened up from Jerusalem 
through the death of Jesus Christ. We, we sing songs like there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And someday the prophet Ezekiel even speaks of fountains flowing out of Jerusalem and flowing out around, even going down to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea becoming alive. I don't know if we'll call it the live sea or or what, but that that even is going to change. And there will be literal fountains opened up from the city of Jerusalem. So that's something maybe to get us looking forward and realize God, God's work is not done yet. And speaking of this difference between Old Testament and New Testament, we see a little bit of that today in Luke chapter seven, where remember yesterday, John the Baptist is asking, are you the one or are we supposed to be waiting for another? Well, today it's like his disciples leave and now Jesus is talking to the crowd about John the Baptist. He, he is telling them, hey, John the Baptist, he was a prophet. And more than that, he was, we, we see there in verse 27, he was the messenger going before to prepare the way of the Messiah. And then he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. I think one of the things he means there is all these other prophets in the Old Testament, they did not get to see what John the Baptist saw. John the Baptist actually got to see the one who he was prophesying about. He baptized Jesus. But then he says this, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Saying, hey, those of us that now get to look in the rearview mirror and see all of it, how blessed are we? And then I love what it goes on to say that basically it shows that the sinners, the tax collectors, right? When they heard this, they were like, yes, and amen. And it was the Pharisees and the lawyers that were like, and they rejected it. What a hope that anybody, even the worst sinner can get on in on the greatest blessing because of what Jesus Christ has done. Does that give you hope for our world? Does that give you hope for our country that even the worst sinners can be saved and become these privileged people that he's saying, hey, these are the greatest, the least in the kingdom of God. Those that maybe right now are far from God can be great in the kingdom of God because of the good news of Jesus Christ. And again, the good news of Jesus Christ has so many practical ramifications. We talked about that yesterday as we started to ask the so what question from the book of Ephesians. And we looked at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Well, today we're looking at verses 17 through 32, the rest of the chapter. And he starts, you know, getting into more specific ways. And I would encourage you as you read those verses to maybe pick at least one or two that really resonate with you, maybe even convict you. We talk about seeking God's face and turning from their wicked ways. Maybe you'll be convicted of that as you look at this verse. But one that I just want to point out is verse 26 and 27, which says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It really is a warning there of how dangerous it can be when we let conflict and specifically anger towards someone else fester. Especially if you are listening to this and you are married. I mean, there's almost no better verse in the Bible about marriage than this one. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And sometimes that might be something you can do in your own heart by just calming yourself and and forsaking your anger towards someone else. Or maybe you need to go to somebody right now even and apologize to them. And maybe this is something that we need to do again to turn from our wicked ways because we are seeking the face of God. And may God use that to bring a revival, the likes of which those of us listening have never seen before. 
Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you.